Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I'm here in the, the Haywood, California gym of the great Virgil Hunter, one of the esteemed trainers in the world. Been in the business for almost 30 years now, and, or maybe over 30 years, and really renowned um, some incredible pupils under him. Um, mostly, of course, people uh, recall his work with Andre Ward, um, retired in 2017. I'm here in your office in your gym, Virgil. It's tucked away in a, in a little industrial estate in Haywood, right by the, the waterside. Mm-hmm. There's little, uh, birds nesting on the water there. It's a very quiet, diligent camp that people have here. It is. Uh, and it was, I chose this site uh, for that reason. Um, it's actually a game reserve on the other side of the fence there. So you have foxes, you have all types of animals out there that are protected, you know, by the game and gaming industry. Uh, the water has a common effect, uh, you know, when they go out there and run on the trails out there. So it was a good spot. They have to leap the fence, I see, to get over onto the trail? Uh, you can, but it's better, I think, that you go down to the end of the road there and go through the uh, entrance because... It's pretty well guarded, you know, so you can't get over that fence without being seen by some kind of camera. This is a very um, renowned area, um, Oakland itself, for example, where, you know, people, obviously Andre Ward's out of Oakland. Um, You were born in Berkeley, this esteemed, um, hallowed place, one of the greatest universities in the world. Um, You're a very learned man yourself. Um, you you grew up in, in or you were born in Berkeley, um, but Oakland has that tough reputation. The, 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 the American football team, even though they're moving, I believe, um, never lose at home. It's got that, it, it's a very hardworking um, blue-collar area in, in contrast across the Bay to the progressive Northern Californian San Francisco and Bay Area, one of the most expensive areas of America to live. But, 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 but Oakland is a very tough, has a very tough reputation. Did you grow up in Berkeley, or you were born in Berkeley, but did you grow up in a tough environment? I was born in Berkeley at Herrick Hospital, um, probably a mile and a half off the Oakland-Berkeley line. But I was raised in Oakland. And uh, my grandparents, they migrated here from Texas in the the 40s and things. Uh, My mother, I believe, was just 10 years old. So hardworking, big family that stayed uh, together. And so, yes, um, I grew up in North Oakland, uh, which is what they call the North Pole. So it is an area of Oakland that... um, Huey Newton came out of, uh, Bobby Seals came out of. Oakland not only has that blue-collar reputation, you have a lot of scholars that came out of Oakland. And, of course, the Oakland and Berkeley combined. You had liberals living in Berkeley and Oakland uh, because Oakland was just a little bit cheaper, but a stone's throw from the campus and the philosophy of Berkeley. Um, we We had unique situations and unique people that lived here and spawned a lot of things that are in effect in the world today. But your 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 grandfather um boxed um and I know that he was uh uh well known. Uh, your father boxed in the military. Mm-hmm. Um and um you boxed yourself in what were called smokers, didn't you? Mm, well, you know what? And I'm going to let that out because uh, you're probably aware some people had made some accusations, John David Jackson and even Floyd, 
that you know you never box anything like that so i i never addressed it never said anything but i have some family members now and and even andre wants me to let the cat out of the bag about uh my participation in boxing so i'll be doing that in the next month or so because i'm getting everybody together that can validate my participation in boxing, and I think they're going to be quite surprised. What 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 were smokers though? What does that mean? Smokers are boxing exhibition shows, amateur shows, pro shows where you have at the gym. See, back in those days, uh, we when you have smoker, you have amateur fights. We're we talking the seventies or sanctioned seventies in the seventies. Would it have been? Oh, the late sixties, seventies, and eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're not sanctioned. It's a way to raise money for the gym. So you just call all the local gyms around and you match up people. You'll have amateurs, boxing a pro, uh, there's no rules, right? It's just money to raise, just raise the gym. They get the kids watches, money, and everything. It was easier to do that than put up the money to have a sanctioned amateur show. And Oakland was all about professional boxing anyway. They weren't too much on amateurs. You go to the gyms here, the old 13th Street gym, 7th Street Gym, Shields and Pittman, where I was, even Charles King's old gym. Uh, you get 25, 30 amateur fights. It's like, it's time to go pro. That was the philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I came out of that spawning ground. But you you also, you're a very tall man, very athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, you played basketball as well. Um, I play, I blew two professional careers. <laughs> uh, I played baseball and I played basketball. But it was a time when the money wasn't like it is today. Uh, my stepfather was in the military. My real dad was a musician, a hustler, so to speak. Uh, he lived in Los Angeles. He and my mother divorced when I was at a young age. So my stepdad was a military officer, and um, he wasn't that much into sports. So when it came time to make some decisions, I had no guidance. I had nobody to say, hey, no, you should go in this direction. In other words, I didn't have me. <laughs> if I'd had me growing up, I'd have made the right decision. So just like any other kid in the late So 60s, other people are learning from your mistakes when you oversee them. Because yeah. I've always seen you like a headmasterly type yeah. figure. You, you, you have, you know, you, you're, you're very erect as a mm-hmm. person, very direct, very, um, I, I say almost mm-hmm. like a headmasterly figure I've always seen you, that you, you command respect. Well, you know... I wouldn't say I made mistakes. Um, I just, it would have been good to have the guidance, someone who could reason with my abilities, whether I went to baseball, whether I went to basketball, or whether I went to boxing. Uh, I had the athleticism. You didn't have someone to guide you, like you've guided your guys mm-hmm. and girls. And the, um, but, but, you t- you took you had a professional life as a probation officer, mm-hmm. um, working with with kids who were delinquent who were on the wrong side of the tracks. Well, I started out as in the probation department uh, in the early eighties, I believe it was, mm. and that was really uh, a gift that was predicted to me by my grandmother and a couple other people. They felt that I had such an influence on youth that I might want to give something like that a try. Mm. Well, at the time, I didn't have any in-house experience to do that, but I had a friend who was running a, a group home, which was uh, an alternate, alternative, alternative uh, for uh, wayward kids who weren't that deep in trouble, but they couldn't stay at home. The courts had removed them out of the house, 601 wards of the court. So I started there, and that gave me the working experience. So when it came time for the probation department to put out uh, that they were looking at uh, potential employees, uh, that got me in the door. But really, it was who I knew that got me in the door. Mm. You really have to know somebody, and I knew a couple of people who were able to make it happen for me. I'm not saying that boxers are delinquents or they're from the wrong side of the tracks, but it, I'm, the reason I'm taking you there is it, it, perhaps it gave you a sense of being able to direct people and put them on the right direction in their lives that it perhaps helped you when you came to training? Uh, Most definitely it did. Uh, Because uh, when you start out in the units, and I was in a maximum security unit uh, with California gangs, you know, and um, I lived in the community. So it was a lot of young men that were incarcerated that I knew. 
and you know from the community knew their families and things like that so uh that gave me an edge also and then the boxing background gave me the respect you know that they knew about and and it gave me an avenue it was a vehicle for me to be able to communicate and be able to counsel uh in in the in the right direction that they needed you know so it definitely honed me uh and it developed a lot of my leadership skills do you um feel that when you were growing up were you influenced um at the time by the great heavyweights, the great heavyweight era, the, the, the era of the golden, the golden age, as we'd call it, you know, with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and George Foreman and, and the, the ascension at the time of black Americans, you know, um, that, you know, were you influenced by that period? We, we, because it was a time when, um, when, when black was beautiful through Ali and they were so famous and that there was, there was a real kind of outpouring at the time and, and America was changing. Were you influenced as a, as a young man at that time? Most definitely because my mother was an activist. Uh, she was part of the Black Panther Party as an activist and I lived through the civil rights era, you know, from the beginning to the end. So, and by my relatives and parents to being from the South, I was able to have a first hand, not only first rows, front row seat, but also have first hand information. And being able to see it, even in the city of Oakland at that time, we had a very prejudiced police department, all white, most guys from the South, migrating to the North to be on the police department. And my mother had six brothers, very formidable, Men, all my uncles are six feet, two hundred pounds. Uh, all of them played. Two of them played professional sports. They all boxed because of uh, the the history in the family and grandfather. But they, again, participated in the boys' club like I did and things like that. But more or less, it translated into street fighting. You know, <laughs> because in other words, you did have a tough upbringing. It was a well, tough no, time. I, I consider it a loving upbringing. Yeah. Mm. But you know, you're taught to take care of yourself, and then when you have six uncles, and and my mother was the second oldest out of eight, so she she had an older brother, but all her other brothers were beneath her, and um, you had to, so a lot of pressure because they didn't baby you. You say, I'm the oldest grandson. I'm the second oldest grandchild, but I'm the oldest grandson. So my youngest two uncles, I would go a lot of places with them. They were only like six and nine years older than me. Mm-hmm. So I would accompany them everywhere. And I can remember situations where, uh, for instance, I was at the park one time with one of my uncles, and I had this kickball, and this kid came and took the kickball, and and uh, wouldn't give it back. And I told my uncle, and he told me to go get it back. And so the kid and I ended up getting in a fight. He beat me up, but I got the ball back. So that right there, my uncles were, he was more proud of me getting that ball back, even though my nose was bloody and my shirt was bloody. And if I'm not mistaken, I had a knot on my head or something like that. Uh, I don't know how old the kid was. A lot of people say, oh, he was bigger and older than me. No, I was big for my age. So I don't know how old he was, but he was a much better fighter. But I didn't quit, and I got my ball back. And they were more proud about that than maybe if I'd have beat him. So I got the understanding, no matter what, fight back. So, yeah, we didn't have, my mother couldn't afford a babysitter or anything like that. When we came home from school, we had to go to the park. Bushrod Park was right around the corner from my house. Now, Bushrod Park in Oakland is a famous park. It spawned some of the greatest professional athletes uh, that the world has known. Baseball, Frank Robertson, Veda Pinson, Kurt Flood, Joe Morgan, Ricky Henderson, Glenn Bird, Al Woods, Lloyd Mosby. It just goes on and on and on. Basketball, Bill Russell. And it just goes on and on and on. First man to beat and run the nine flat hundred meters, Jim Hines. Also records, so there was a lot of pressure going to Bushrod, but also they had great programs for kids after school. So after school, we go to the park until my mother would get home. I'm with a uh, esteemed boxing trainer, Virgil Hunter, in his Haywood, California gym. More coming up next about the influences on his life as a trainer. Don't call it a comeback. 
So, Virgil, I'm here with you in your gym. We're in your office, actually, at the moment. You can hear noises behind us as the fighters arrive and um, do their workouts. It's a Saturday afternoon here. It's a beautiful afternoon. Um, I've been to your gym a few times. It's always thriving here. Um, You've got some incredible names here. We're going to come on to them shortly. Uh, Andre Ward, of course, has spent his entire career with you. He's retired now retired as number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Nicola Adams is training under you with Carla Esparza. Um, uh, Amir Khan is in and out here when he's not in the UK or in the jungle. Um, Tony Yoka, the young heavyweight, is working under you. There's Brendan Gonzalez. There's Andre Berto who's been with you. It, it's an incredible uh, run of fighters. Let me ask you this. Um, we talked about you <clears throat> working through the probation service, the influence on your family in the background. You had boxing going back two generations, probably a lot further than that as well. You, as you say, you, the family moved from the south. We talked about the division of race in America and your ascension and growth as a young man through a, a very interesting period. The one thing I wanted to ask you, your, your birth dad was a musician. Um, was music a big part of your life growing up ever? It was blues and jazz that's what he played and um my mother instilled uh classical music i mean uh, even uh i remember being in the play peter and the wolf shaikoski you know ragmanimov concerto number two you know she wanted to round me my mother was valedictorian in high school at oakland tech in uh late 40s, I believe she graduated, 49 or whatever. Uh, Would she have been one of the first black women to have gone to university in, in that uh, area? Or no? I couldn't say if she'd have been one of the first. Mm, uh, mm. She probably, I'm, I'm sure she'd have been among mm, some of the mm, first, mm. but she never got the opportunity because she was devoted to my grandmother and she had young siblings. So she came out of high school and went to work for the IRS mm, in San Francisco. Mm, mm. And that's what she did. Uh, oh, so she didn't go on to college afterwards, go. but would have gone. She, she had that intellectuality. Yeah. If uh, the 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 commitment mm. to the family was was much bigger, but she was able to to actually go through my younger brother, who mm-hmm. uh, was she was. It was a time when she was at home, and when he was born, and so she was there his first five seven years. So she was able to educate him up close along with the school curriculum. So I always remember him going to private schools up until the time he was uh, going into junior high and he left home and went to RLS, Robert Louis Stevenson, which is in Carmel, California, one of the top uh, prep schools in the the country, second to Choke, where the Kennedys went. So... And he went to Stanford and graduated, and uh, he's he's a big person in his business right now. And all that I believe is a direct influence from my mother being there firsthand with him early in his in his life. So, so you you the progression from working, you know, with with like you say, with 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 gangs, basically um, working as a probation in the probation department. Um, you you then become more involved in boxing, and and your you 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 are doing your apprenticeship, if you like, under some great names, as you, you've mentioned some already. Bobby Warren, Jimmy Simmons, Charlie Smith, Tiger Floyd. What did all these trainers bring? What did you know? They they there was a there was a tradition, an old school. They 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 knew about street fighting. They knew about tough environments, mm-hmm. and they you, you talk about learning about boxing in the old school, the old school tradition. What do you mean by that? Well, Jimmy Simmons is the the man who actually started me, and then Charlie Smith was involved. Um, Tiger, Bobby, and uh, uh, Pittman, uh, they were guys that I served apprenticeship under. So I learned their methods and different things that they did. See, you couldn't just come in and train a fighter in those days because the gyms had reputations, and they wanted that reputation of winning. So if you brought a young kid in the gym and signed up and everything, and you said, uh, well, I'm a training the first thing, you, well, who are you? You know, you're training. Where are your credentials to train? You know, what do you know about box? So it wasn't going to be a watered-down situation like it is today. Now, you know, anybody can 
fill out an application in the USA box and give me $50 and you're a trainer. Just like that, you got a young kid under your charge. Well, it didn't go that way in Oakland. You had to serve an apprenticeship and get the approval of trainers that you were ready. So, you know, I've carried the buckets, I have the towels, that's what I'm doing, but I'm observing each and every one of them style. So I was able to take each style and put it into a box and, and sort of come up with my style. But every now and then I can go back to certain trainers' uh, philosophies or the way they handle situations and bring it forth if it's going to benefit the fighter for whatever he needs it for. So I'm glad I went through that period. I, I didn't. I respected the game. I did not disrespect this game and learn out of a book or uh, appoint myself on my own that I was some trainer, you know. No, I learned from participation, and I learned from serving apprenticeship. So so within that, kind of what, um, you know, because, you know, having spoken for many years with, you know, people like Don Howe, who you'll know, and lots of other guys. Don Howe, sorry. Um, Howe. Yeah, um, different, mm. different, yes, different trainers around mm. the place, Nazim Richardson, all these mm. guys. There, there are... There are infighting techniques. There are footwork techniques. Mm-hmm. There, are, I mean, this sounds obvious, mm-hmm. but it isn't necessarily obvious. And as you know, you will have learnt what the, the the presence of mind in that minute between rounds that you have the uh, all the all the finer details. I'm taking it mm-hmm. that you were learning mm-hmm. that you're not necessarily making in a notebook, but you're it's going in there, and you've either mm-hmm. got it or you haven't. I think so. I mean, you know, every particularly big fights, you know, it's, it's a pressure situation and you have to, you know, lead by example by never succumbing to the pressure, particularly in the fighter's eyes, always staying calm and, and knowing what individual you have and um, and then applying a plan or a strategy to that individual that you know he can do and not bringing in anything that you've never seen him do or he can't do. Because it's a so, complex algorithm, isn't it? Like, you, you, you're what you're saying. You, you, you have to understand your fighter. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the game plan. You know, you know you're, it's, it's someone's mm-hmm. life on the line. Yeah. It's, it's glory or bust very mm-hmm. often for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, zero on the record. I know you might not necessarily agree with that, but mm-hmm. those kind of things really count, don't they? You, uh, boxers almost can't afford mm-hmm. to slip up. No, and, and you know, my situation I think is unique because I've inherited a lot of former champions. You'll hear people say, well, you know, he hasn't made a champion other than Andre. You know, and but no one takes a look at the situation that if you look at every kid who's come to me, they came to me off a knockout. Andre Berto, Amir Khan. Peter Quillen. Well, I have Andre Durrell now, but he didn't come after the knockout, but he had to make some changes. But he'd uh, lost to James DeGale in the past. And... Yeah, like that. Um, so when you have people who've made millions of dollars already and they suffer a loss and they come to you, the first thing you notice is, is that the hunger is not necessarily there because they've made a lot of money already. Mm-hmm. See? So I'm inheriting this fighter. He wants me to get him back to the top. But sometimes they're not bringing that real hunger that they had before they got to the top to get back because they've already made the money. Mm-hmm. And um, so they figure I could transform him into an Andre Ward or something like that. But they never stopped and really realized and thought that Andre Ward worked his butt off. Mm. every day it doesn't come from me putting a magic wand on your shoulder and poof it's it's the sacrifice the work the the whole thing so um right now i have a young crop that i'm very excited about that i'm starting from where i like to start them from let me come on to those but Mm. but but you mentioned andre ward and it's a good time to talk about andre he retired last year undefeated 34 i think he was at the time 33 33 not 34 yet Mm. um he's retired we know lots of boxers come back Mm. um you worked with andre from the age of nine um he has been an incredible role model for boxing um he's an incredible athlete uh, with an incredible fighting iq um i believe he went out as number one pound for pound in the world when he retired in many ways you know, he he had the dream finish to a career, if you like. He stepped away at the right time. Mm-hmm. What did you see in him, first of all, then, 
as a, as a nine-year-old? What was there? Uh, his, his his dedication. His he he wanted to box. He bothered me about it. And so I said, okay, well, if we start this, we're not going to stop. Did you see a guy who could go on to be a double world champion uh, at that stage? Or is it too early to see that kind of thing? Oh, it's much too early to, to say that. Because, you know, he was too young for all the pitfalls hadn't come along yet. All the temptations hadn't come along yet. So you you hope that you could have him in a position where he realizes that I have a great opportunity to excel in this when the temptations come along and he won't be so easily tempted. He wasn't my first fighter. I had several fighters that I had started training in juvenile hall. And and when they got out, were doing very well. And most of them were undefeated. and But inevitably, the street would call them back because uh, the mother, they have a situation at home where maybe mom is struggling with addiction. Uh, dad's not there. They have siblings. And, um, you know, when they finish training and stuff, they got to hit the corner. They got to hit the block. They're trying to make money. Mm-hmm. You know, so inevitably they always got back in the street. So I had one, I stopped training them. Uh, one kid, a uh, very promising kid, um, uh, we were supposed to go to the Golden Glove regions, and he didn't show up on time when I called. Uh, he was back in jail. But but with Andre, um, when he began to develop, I mean, just to go through his career, really, um, you know, obviously one of the great times for him, one of his, you know, he was already very established, but the the, the super classic Super Sixes was mm-hmm. a fantastic time. Obviously, I covered several of his fights then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the final with, uh, with Carl Froch mm-hmm. in Atlantic City was a great occasion, a great night. Mm-hmm. And... He just always seemed to be able to show the presence of mind in in big fights. He, he and it was always about because um, weirdly with Andre, it's difficult to know what his style is. Mm-hmm. He just can't be unlocked. Mm-hmm. It's it's ve- he almost mirrors the other fighter and works off mm-hmm. them. It's quite incredible. W- w- did you start to see that with him? And you know, was that a great night, the night against Carl Froch in Atlantic City, for him to win that? Well, that's what I was alluding to when I was speaking of the other kids, you know. Um, I just made myself a promise that if I ever started training again, it would be a young kid. Mm, mm. And who had support, didn't have the typical problems in the household Mm. that the kids I had been training had. Um, So when he came along and he started boxing and showing this unusual desire, I mean, he'd stay as long as you want and he'd just go over and over again all the prerequisites of being a champion were there. He could have played baseball, of course, as well, well couldn't he? He was playing baseball. He was an all-star <laughs> baseball player. He played high school football and had mm. Pac-10 scholarship offers mm. as a safety. Um, so when he was uh, 14, 15, I knew then that um, he could do it mm. if he stayed on track. Mm. I, I knew the style was set and that if he kept his head on right, he could stay on track. Mm. What what happened during the Olympic period then? When it was gold in Athens, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, did you have to hand him over at that point with the Olympic part of it, or were you part of that process as well? Well, they had coaches, of course, mm, mm. and he had to train with other coaches. But he had made such a, a mark on USA Amateur Boxing that uh, he and I sat down and identified who would be the best coach out of the four to work with him. And we identified uh, Abdullah Bashir um, because he had enough. First of all, we'd beat a couple of his kids. He was the Army coach. He had enough upstairs to realize to leave him alone, not to try to change him. Or to mold. fiddle with his, yeah. with his style or anything. Fiddle with him, which a lot of Olympic coaches are very guilty of. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they... I think the U.S. problem is now they look to other win- other t- countries that are winning and try to emulate the style which y'all realizing that there's we have our own style and you should be able to coach it. But he had enough sense to leave him alone. I'm with Virgil Hunter, the, uh, the esteemed uh, Californian boxing trainer. Um, after the break, we're going to talk more about the career of the great Andre Ward.
So I'm with Virgil Hunter. We're still in your office. There's more and more people. It's a very busy gym, this Virgil. I suppose Saturday afternoons always is. Uh, depends. Today we'll have about six people in. Um, I usually give Wednesdays off mm. and Sundays off as opposed to Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday is a day you come in and I stand, tend to stand back off of them and just observe them and let them do their own thing. Um, so it's a good day. We're deep in talking about Andre Ward. Does he still pop in the gym and work out ever? He has. I haven't been here, but he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and a matter of fact, he called me last week and he's going to start coming back. He wants to come back and take Pilates like I do and then, you know, do some workouts and stuff. Yeah. Um, going back over his career, he wins the Olympic gold medal. Um, he comes as a super middleweight Um into, as a professional, he started as a middleweight. As a middleweight, as a professional. yeah, and 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 but but it's incredible for a man of his size because when you meet Andre, it's extraordinary that he ever made middleweight. You're going to tell me now at six foot three or whatever, you were probably a middleweight as well. No, he he was never a light heavyweight mm. in the Olympics. Mm. He never made he never weighed more than 169 pounds in the 175 pound division, and the reason why he did that because him and Andre Durrell were friends. And Andre Durrell was 165. So to keep the team strong, and I agreed to it. I says, well, you go 175. And this was a year out. So I figured he would grow some, mm. but he didn't, mm. you know. Mm. So he literally had to eat breakfast and drink a, you know, drink a Gatorade or something before he weighed in in the morning in Athens to make sure he got over 165. So, so you know, we know as well, of course, that uh, – that Muhammad Ali won at uh, light heavyweight yeah. in, in, in Rome in 1960. So Andre yeah. had the, 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 an amazing launch to his professional career well, by winning the same gold that Muhammad Ali yeah. had won, and he did it underweight. He did it underweight, and that's the thing. You hear people say, well, he was a light heavyweight in the Olympics. No, he just fought in that class. He never was a light heavyweight. Mm. He spot seven, eight pounds every fight. Mm. Uh, but I felt it was an advantage because I never allowed – him to go to the world championships or certain dual meets because I didn't want them to get a tape on him. Mm. I knew that if you never saw him before, that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You were gonna have a problem beating him in four two minute rounds. Mm-hmm. I just knew that. You, by the time you figured him out, the fight's over. Yeah. So that was the advantage we had. Now he's able to, because he trains so hard. He doesn't have the the stress of cutting weight, then going to eat. Then I gotta get ready for the next fight. These guys are cutting weight, 
gaining weight, cutting weight, gaining weight. Well, he could just eat and train and rest, so that was a good advantage for him. A brilliant career, of mm-hmm. course, undefeated, two-weight world champion at super middleweight and light heavyweight. Um, great victories over... The, the, the likes of Mikkel Kessler in his prime. I think um, Joe Calzaghe and Andre Ward would have been an amazing fight all those years ago. My boy would have won on points, you know. That's what a lot of the UK people say. But <laughs> no, I think Andre would have won on points well, in a very, I, I, very close I, I, fight, I is what, my genuine view. When I'm just I teasing Joe, you. I was an admirer Joe Calzaghe, mm, mm. particularly his work rate and things like that. Um, I'll just say this. He wouldn't have been able to fight the fight he fights and win, he would have had to make some adjustments. This is and Joe would have had to make Joe, adjustments. And, of yeah. course, we would have, too. Mm. So I believe it was whoever would have made the proper adjustments. Because when I look at Joe's fight with... Uh, Bernard? No, no, no. Mikhail no, Kessler? Who was it? Was it Saki Obika? Saki Obika, yes, yes. Yeah, when I look at that fight, Bika caused him a lot yeah. of problems. Bika used his head a lot as well, he, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he just, he was close to Joe. He didn't know what he was doing, mm. but his presence yeah. really threw Joe off. Mm, mm. You know, and so you can imagine somebody who would have that same presence twice as quick, but knew what to do when he got there. So he would have had to make some adjustments, too. It wouldn't have been the typical keeping you at range type of fight. Mm. And uh, we would have had to make some adjustments to cut his work rate down. Mm. So your your guy would have won on points, yeah? Uh, I would just go on and say it would have been a draw. (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. (laughs) Um, So these great victories, Mikkel Kessler, Arthur Abraham, Carl Froch in the final of the Classic Super Sixes. um, And and just no one could unlock him, basically. Mm -hmm. And, And, of course, he finishes his career with these two great victories over Sergei Kovalev. There's two things, really, that I want to ask you about, uh, Andre. Um, um, Do you think, first of all, that he got the credit in America that he deserved? Because I know he got the credit in the boxing world in the end, but did he get the credit in America? Because people say, said in the end, oh, he couldn't find a following. He didn't have a big enough following. He coincided with a period when people, you couldn't get bums on seats in arenas in America. I'm not saying that for the last few fights, but um, do you think he was undervalued as an athlete, a boxer, and what he achieved in America didn't get wider recognition? Or was it his own fault? Because he, he's not a great um, um, fanfarist. He's not out there. He, did, he, he wasn't really into self-publicity in many ways. Um, uh, you can look at it two ways. Uh, I think he was definitely um, marginalized um, as a fighter with his achievements. On the other end, if he had, if we had to play the buffoon role and put on all these antics to get the fans interested in us, then that just wasn't going to happen. We were not going to compromise our dignity because it's life after boxing, you see. And everybody, and, and you know, I, I don't like touching on this subject much, but it only seems like the African-American fighter had to play this buffoon role Conor McGregor's made a pretty good job of it. Well, yeah, but in the U.S. Right. uh, One thing I'll say about the U.K. is they allow the fighter to have dignity. If he can fight, he's going to have a following. Mm -hmm. And and then... And if he's a controversial character, he's going to have an even bigger following. Not only that, wherever he was born, they're going to follow him and support him anyway. Because I I notice in the U.K., wherever you're born, whether it be Leeds, Liverpool, whatever... They support mm. the athletes that come from mm. their area. So, no, we're not going to play that buffoon role. And um, I can remember more than once that camera crews would come here and they want me to take them to where I came up, where he came up, the hood, you know. And I said... Well, Which I'm, hood was that? Well, North Oakland and mm. West Oakland. Mm. And mm. West Oakland is where I went to school. Came up, which is was at the time considered uh, the toughest part of Oakland, but also you had the, the the most survivors in West Oakland because West Oakland was the first black district in Oakland when the migrant the World War Two came and you know the blacks from the south came to work in the shipyards and things like that. It was formerly an Italian community, but they moved up a little further. But West Oakland became African American community, and then slowly they migrated out to North Oakland 
and then East Oakland. Because in the 20s and 30s after the earthquake in, in 1906, I think it was, in mm. San Francisco, a lot moved over to Oakland from yeah. San Francisco. So mm. it, it was this melting pot, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot yeah. of Italians yeah. and uh, things moved over to West Oakland. Mm. So I I didn't want to... I said, I don't, I don't want a hood story. I said, every no. time I turn around... I see African American fighter on TV. Here he is in the hood. Well, my buddy got shot here, and and then the perception is is that if you come from this area, you're tough. This area toughen you. Whereas I told him, look, you know, it's a lot of people in the hood can't fight a lick. Okay, so that's just a misconception. Let's deal with him where he is now instead of that. So. Yeah, when he speaks, he's not going to insult the opponent. Uh, when he's interviewed, you're not going to be able to pull certain things on him or, mis- or lead him to where you want to lead him. He's very astute to that. And he's articulate. And he's you know he has a strong faith foundation. He's a family man. Anything you would want of a young man, he was. Genuinely, not a put-on. So you It's know, called authentic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you can say authentic. Let, let me ask you this then, Virgil. Um, so many boxers retire. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance that Andre may feel like boxing again? Well, you never say never, but I say uh, no. And the reason why I say that is is because I don't think it will because nobody's going to put up the money for him to fight again, you know, Um and that's really what it's all about. I mean, I just come off a fight making 6.5 and now I'm supposed to fight number two and number three for a couple. That's not going to happen, particularly when I'm set for life. Mm. So, Because he know, has been wise with his money and he's got his faculties very intact. Wise, and... Very wise with mm. his money. So what happens is, is where's the motivation? Nobody's going to put that kind of money up. So, no, he'll stay retired. Is there any chance he's going to come and train fighters with you or do input no, with no, no he's managing he's managing Shakur Stevenson mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we can identify some more uh, uh, amateurs we feel like have the potential and the character to win belts and he might manage them he's open to managing uh, but other than that he's got a lot of things going on so he's, he's prepared for life after boxing he has broadcasting going on he has a lot of other things going on he does work for the War Golden State Warriors uh, does work for the Jordan family. Once you're in the Jordan family, like he has been, you're a fam- Jordan family member for life. So he's he's got a great income after boxing. So he's fine. And where, in your view, does he stand in the pantheon of great American boxers? Well, I just say give him his due. What, what's there, what you see, what you can't deny, what you can't dispute. That's all you can go on. You know, uh, I believe he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, And you just have to give him what he accomplished. You just can't take it away. There's no avenue. There's no reason for you to take away his accomplishments. You can't put an asterisk on his career. You have to go for what it is. You might not like it, but you have to respect it. I just want to ask you about who you believe um, is the... um, the pound-for-pound best in the world at the moment. There's a big debate about, is it Vasyl Lomachenko? Is it Gennady Golovkin? Is it Saul Canelo Alvarez? Is it um, a number of different people? And where are guy Billy Joe Saunders after that performance against Mm -hmm. David Lemieux Mm -hmm. now fits in? Because it was a brilliant, brilliant performance. Mm -hmm. I've watched it four or five times Mm -hmm. since. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. And even his little wave out into the crowd, Mm -hmm. where did that punch fly? Mm -hmm. Um, what did you make of that performance, and where does Billy Joe Saunders stand in relation to um, Kennedy Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez? Surely he's earned a shot at one of those guys or the winner. Uh, most definitely he's earned a shot. You can't deny him uh, his opportunity. Uh, he's right there knocking on the door. You just can't keep him out now. Uh, what did you make of it when you watched it? Oh, well, I thought it was a masterpiece. Uh, he fought the way he's supposed to fight. Hit, I'm going to hit you, and you're not going to hit me. Unfortunately, a lot of people frown on it, but he'll leave the game with his faculties. He'll leave the game maximizing his athletic ability, and that's what I like about him and Tyson Fury. Um, they know who they are as fighters, 
And that's the most important thing because if you listen to the critics, if you listen to uh, other people, they'll try to tell you what you need to be to be exciting. And my answer to that is no, you don't need to be that. All you need to do is beat those people that they're talking about are exciting. It's like when Andre turned pro. Somebody asked me, did I think he would ever be a superstar? I told him, no, he'll just beat superstars. So he won't be one, but he'll beat them. And that's good enough for us. And um, Billy Joe had a lot to prove. And he proved it. He backed it up. And he put his stamp in that division. And they can't ignore him. Has he got any chance against um, Canelo or Golovkin? Could he beat either of those guys? Of course. Of course. With the ability to box like that, you change the whole preparation plan of the opponent when you have that kind of ability. It puts more worry on him to know that he's going to have to do some things that he's not accustomed to doing or has to do some things that he's never done to win this fight. He knows that. If you if you Triple G, you know some kind of way I got to cut this ring off and and get him in a situation where I can be at my best. Well, uh he had a problem cutting the ring off with Canelo, who doesn't have half the speed that uh, Billy Joe has. If you're Canelo, who's a counterpuncher, you're going to have to turn into the aggressor. And, you know, when Amir fought uh, Canelo and he had to be the aggressor, you see the problems that Canelo had until he landed. It took a lucky punch, which I said it would take for him to win the fight because... Um, the plan was to have him down to one punch at a time, and we did that. But the focus, the ability to be able to focus three, 30, uh, uh, three minutes of every round, that was the most important part of that fight and the fact that we had no advantages anywhere. We're going to come on to Amicar and Nicola Adams, the heavyweight division, in, in the last segment of our interview today. But just finally, as we go to the break, who's your pound-for-pound pound number one in the world right now then? Crawford. Terence Crawford. Terrence Crawford is. Yeah. He'll beat Terrell Spence? That remains to be seen. You know, That's never, a great fight this I, year, though, isn't great it? great fight. I never say who's going to win until uh, it comes. It's easy to look at each, each individual and say, well, he possesses this. This is why he's going to win. And the other one, he possesses this. This is why he's going to win. The bottom line in that fight, and I wouldn't be one to really rush into that fight for the simple reason you have the classic matchup. You have the classic, fundamentally sound pressure fighter going against the classic maneuvering. Slick fighter. southport, yeah. I yeah, don't even call Terrence slick. You know, slick to me is somebody always trying to get away. <laughs> you know, I say he's a maneuver. You know, he'll maneuver you into where he needs you to be into certain areas of the ring or certain times and then he'll take advantage of that. If he doesn't have that going for him in a situation, he'll maneuver you into another area. So he's a, to me, he's a maneuver. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to move maneuver to a break. Coming up after the break, Nicola Adams, Amir Khan, and the heavyweight division with Virgil Hunter. So I'm here with... Uh, I think, definitely, nailed down first ballot Hall of Fame trainer Virgil Hunter here in his uh, gym here in Haywood, California. Um, the, uh, you, of course, have won many awards, the Eddie Futch Award, uh, not to mention the, from the Boxing Writers of America. Um, probably should have won it a lot more times than you have, to be honest, Virgil. I know, you're shrugging. Yeah. You're, not, you're not bothered, I know. Um, the, um, there's a glove there that you've just put. Um, what's this, Virgil? Oh, it's the... I can't read it, Virgil. To Virgil, my new Eddie Futch, Ken Norton. There you go. That, that can't be too bad, can it? No, Good old Kenny Norton, Kenny yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, Virgil, um, I want to talk in this final segment today about Amicar and Nicola Adams, and I want to get your take on the heavyweight division. Of course, you've got um, 2016... Um, Olympic Games super heavyweight gold medalist Tony Yoka training with you. Um, <clears throat> he won the gold for France, of course, against our boy Joe Joyce. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Joyce won that bout, but never mind. We'll come to that in a bit. But um, no doubt they'll meet as professionals at some point. Um, 
Amir Khan, first of all. We touched on the fight with Canelo Alvarez um, uh, earlier on in the interview. Um, I want to ask you this, first of all, yeah, on record again, because you've said to me before, actually to me and to me alone, you wish that Amir hadn't taken that fight. I don't know if you feel differently now, but um, this was probably a year ago you said this to me. I ran a story on it in The Telegraph at the time. Um, and and I wondered what your thinking was for that, that you wish you hadn't taken it. We know it was a big money fight. It was a massive opportunity for him as well. But why do you wish he hadn't taken it? Um, number one, it, it, it didn't make combating sense, if you know what I mean. He was at a disadvantage, and um, there were no concessions made from Canelo's side, whether, whether it was about the weight. Uh, there were no concessions about anything. So he had no margin of error. You know, he, he could not make a mistake. Usually when you go into a fight, you want some sort of margin of error. If, if I make this mistake or that mistake, it might it necessarily not going to cause me to get KO'd, you see. And it put tremendous pressure on him, you see. Um, he didn't want to fight either. He didn't want the fight. No, he did not want that fight. He told me that the next day. I was totally against the fight. But when I saw the insistence that um, that's what it was going to be, what am I going to do? So I'm left to put the best plan together I can put to get him out of there safe. And um, I can remember day in and day out going over certain things. And, um, you know, it really hurt me that it ended up that way. But no, I didn't want that fight for him. Uh, to me, it didn't make any sense at all. He he was 5-0. and oh. He was the number one contender for the 147-pound belt. And, and a five-win stretch, you mean? Yeah, yeah. He was the number one contender for Garcia. You, what did you have to gain other than a little money? So well, a lot of was, money. <laughs> yeah, well, I was so I was totally against it. And obviously, we haven't seen him box since then. Exactly. Um, and we go, it's probably going to be, by the time he comes back, I mean, I have spoken to Amir. Mm-hmm. E- even last night, I was in touch with him, believe it or not, before we, we met. Um, he said to me, I'm going to dominate 147 in 2018, but it will be almost two years, Virgil, probably by the time he comes back. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's still a young man. We know how gifted he is. Um, he, he's been incredible under you as well. Um, can he still come back and do that? He wants to dominate. He wants to win the 147 division. Um, has time passed him by? We talked about these 147 fighters just now. I mean, has he still got the wherewithal to, to come back and, and, and be a major force in the division? Well, you never can tell that as a fighter until he has his first fight coming back. Um, so I won't be able to tell that. Look, I've always said that if he would have been into the sport mentally and physically, and this was his first and foremost priority, that he would have been one of the greats. I, I really believe that because he had such ability. Um, and imagine him taking it even higher. But um, unfortunately, you know, at this point that hasn't, happen um does he have an opportunity to come back and do it um it's big odds it's big odds um only time will tell but he's one of those guys that came to you you mentioned earlier guys that come to you you know they might have had a loss or they want to change their trainer or they're already very wealthy when he came to you he was already extremely wealthy Mm -hmm. he was a very very prominent person from the age of 17 onwards mm. um i remember i mean i've had several conversations with you about amir not least went before he'd even begun under you and you'd said man this kid has got so many skills it's mm. unbelievable but it was it was about he's brilliant offensively but it was about working those techniques we've talked about that you've learned all your life mm. that you've learned in your apprenticeship mm. um and 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 maybe if he'd come to you earlier in his career is what you had said to me before, you could have made him one of the greats. Well, I felt when he came to me, he still could have uh, accomplished greatness if his mind was focused. It didn't take long to find out his mindset. So that's been his uh, Achilles heel, so to speak. 
you have to love the sport and able to be able to perform at his best. And here's a kid who really doesn't love the sport, and he's and when he's performing, he's still somewhere at the top. So just imagine if he just decides to rededicate himself to the sport like he did when he had no money and um, ride it out. Yeah, he's got time, but he has no time to waste, you see. And one loss, more loss would be devastating to him. So uh, if he's patient on his way up, if he thinks he can come back and fight one tune-up and then he's ready for a big fight, he's going to be mistaken. It doesn't work like that when you've taken that kind of time off particularly the type of fighter he is. He needs to uh, put the money. It all depends on what he wants. If you want a big money fight, then I go rush into it. If you want to dominate, you're going to have to follow these steps, you know, and gradually get yourself back into um, that, uh, that frame of mind and also the physical conditioning that it takes. You don't get it back in 12, 8, 10 weeks. You're not going to get it back. It's going to take months to get that level of conditioning back. The listeners can hear the gym getting busier and busier behind me. There's a Pilates class about to start. Um, You've got boxers rolling in here. I know you've got to go and work with them shortly. Um, Finally today, let's talk about the heavyweight division. Um, uh, Because I know you're fascinated by it. And when the heavyweight division is fascinating, it helps the whole of boxing. Because it's almost another sport altogether. It brings big money fights. Tyson Fury can now come back. Anthony Joshua... Um, has two or three of the belts, if you can't count the IBO. Mm-hmm. Deontay Wilder's over here. We're expecting uh, Anthony Joshua to fight uh, mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Parker in the UK in the next two to three months. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on the heavyweight division at the moment? And, you know, what's your take on Anthony Joshua, first of all? Um, are you fascinated by him? Do you think he's got what it takes? Is this a fascinating era? Will Tyson Fury uh, coming back be, be great for the mix as well? Well, I think where Anthony is right now, um, you have to give him all the credit in the world. Uh, you can't, and I think he's still a project developing. You know, he's only, what, 27, 28 years old. So he's still in, in this development stage, finding his way. Uh, just like we spoke earlier about, will he come in lighter? Uh, well, he's two stone heavier than when he turned yeah. pro, so that's a right. shock for you, isn't it? Well, not necessarily, because it worked for him, you know. But sometimes when we go on, when we take on certain things, it might work for a while, and then we have to realize we might have to make a change and kind of find middle ground. So I think he's just like any other heavyweight in the in the business that they're finding their way and they're trying to shore up their strengths and and cut out their weaknesses and. Um, it's it's a good time. This year should be a great year for heavyweights. If Fury comes back, you can't count him out. He has a lot of ability. He has a lot of uh, he does a lot of things wrong right. You see, which makes it very difficult for opponents. He's awkward, in other words. I don't consider him awkward at all. With his feet, he's not awkward. With his hands, he's awkward. His feet are very precise, and his head movement. His hands are awkward, which meaning what I mean by that is he can hit you in areas that you wouldn't expect a person to throw a punch. And he's not into tearing your head off. He's into just hitting you. He realizes I'm 6'9", 240, 250, so if I'm hitting you clean, it's going to do damage. It's going to eventually catch up to you and knock you out. If you look at the last Chisora fight, Chisora takes a punch (laughs) Better than almost anybody, and he just chopped him down. He he actually switched to southpaw yeah. and hit him with left uppercuts yeah. all night. Unbelievably, yeah. Yeah. it was an incredible performance. He knows his distance and he knows his range. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't count him out. Um, so, so you only say you can't young. when you can't count him out. Yep. Yeah. Um, in your view, if he gets a couple of tune-up fights mm-hmm. and he fights Joshua, and mm-hmm. Joshua's still the champion, does he beat Joshua? I think it's probably probably the most difficult fight Joshua will have because you have to get ready for a lot of different things. And if you're not the type of fighter that can adjust and show different styles in a fight, when somebody comes along and gives you these different looks, it can be real difficult for you. Mm-hmm. Right now, Anthony showed he just come right out there and he gets you, right? Um, and we saw Klitschko's footwork sort of 
throw him off. And he had been out of the game for two years, so it 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 would be a tough fight for Joshua. That's not to say he can't win, but it would be a tough fight for him if if uh, Fury is all the way back and all the way right. Mm-hmm. Where does Deontay Wilder fit into this picture for you, and how good is Joseph Parker mm-hmm. finally on the heavyweights? I haven't really followed Parker as much as Joshua and Wilder. With Deontay, it's plain and simple. He's dangerous. And that's a huge uh, amount of pressure for any opponent to go into the ring and know that he can come out of nowhere with something, you know. And he's athletic, and he's awkward, he's long, so he, he presents a lot of problems also. So in order to get to him, you have to be willing to go through, you know, his uh, his moneymaker. Uh, there's no other way you're going to get to him. You're going to have to walk, put your head in the mouth of the cannon to win the fight. So if a person has their mind made up to do that, um, you know, they have a good chance. But in your mind, when you see those two silhouettes moving, he and I'm, I'm sure, as you know, and I'm sure you'd say Fury gives Wilder, he gives everyone the similar kind of problems. Mm-hmm. But when you see... Anthony Joshua, when you see their silhouettes moving together, Joshua mm-hmm. and Wilder, how do you see that playing out? I, I mean, I see mm-hmm. it as a 50-50 myself, but I don't well, know how you see it. I think it definitely starts, fight's going to be start. it's going to start with the feet. If Joshua can cut the ring off and put Deontay in positions in the ring that he doesn't like or he's not accustomed to, he he gets, uh, he has a great opportunity to win. If he ends up following Deontay around, he can make it a much more dangerous fight for himself. Is so this? I just narrow it down to the real simple things, you know. And I think it starts with the feet. Is this the fight that Anthony Joshua should come to America to fight Wilder in? Is it? And is there any reason uh, or point in him trying to capture America as a heavyweight? Um, the audience, I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, wow, he makes so much money over in the UK. Really, he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. He'll make more money fighting over here if he fought Wilder over here for sure. He'll make more money. I, I know that. Um, but home then, advantage is a big thing, isn't it? Um, With heavyweights, I really don't think home advantage means that much. I really don't. Uh, I think what it means is who's going to hit who first and who's going to be able to take the punch. It's kind of real simple with heavyweights. You know, it's who can take the punch of the other one and who has a better skill to avoid the other's punch. To me, that's what it really boils down to. So home advantage could be a disadvantage sometimes because you have the pressure when in front of the home crowd. But uh, from what I'm hearing, he has a pretty tough fight on his hands with Parker. Now, a lot of people say... No, it's not going to be a difficult fight. Huey Fury really. But Huey Fury moves pretty well, too. You know, he's got some real educated moves with his feet and stuff, too. So I think that's going to be a real exciting fight because Parker seems to be very confident. And they got some bad blood going on between them. Hearns and Higgins might as well fight the co-main. <laughs> Eddie Hearn and, yeah, and uh, David Higgins, of course, Higgins they don't. Might as well uh, fight the co-main, where they've been going back and forth. So <laughs> it's going to be a great night of boxing when, whenever it goes. It would be remiss of me not to ask you, with Tony Yoka mm-hmm. training out of here, um, is he, just very quickly, has he got the kind of ability to be in the mix with these guys in a couple of years' time? Uh, mm-hmm. Most definitely. For the simple reason... Deontay started late. Joshua started late. I don't know what age Parker was. Tony's beat Parker twice in amateurs. Um, Tony started boxing at nine years old. So he grew through the weight classes. So he's bringing small man skills in a big man's body. Um, He's the best athlete out the heavyweight bunch right now. And that's no put down. It's just from him starting early. Uh, he has to make the transition, just like everybody else. Um, and as he's making that transition, he's very easy to train. He wants to be the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, he's had setbacks in his amateur career that he's overcome. Um, he wasn't even projected to even be on the French team in 2013 or 14. They didn't want him. And... Uh, he proved him wrong there. So he's always had to prove himself. As he makes the transition, 
his intelligence is very intelligent, speaks five languages, the whole bit. As he makes the transition, he understands exactly what's going on and what he has to do. And then my vision for him is to make him complete. So if he has to get close to you, he'll be able to do that. If he can box off range, he can do that. Also, physically, he's very, very strong. He doesn't even know his own strength yet. He's 6'7", 240, but he's a real 240. He's not a pumped up to that's his natural weight, right? He's not pumped up. He didn't have to build no muscle. You know, all he has to do is condition what he has. That's his natural weight. He has big legs, big calves, big thighs. Anthony doesn't have that. He's got small legs, see? So he had to build muscle on his legs. Deontay doesn't seem to worry about his legs too much because he did have an advantage playing basketball, which gives you footwork, you know, and uh, backwards, laterally, sideways. So he was able to achieve quite a bit at this stage in, in boxing by even starting late. But I'm not a person who predicts, but anything unforeseen, Yoko's going to be there and he's going to he's gonna be a handful. And that future heavyweight mm. champion of the world. He's going to be a handful. Virgil, it's been an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. to be with you in your gym. Uh, thank you for inviting us You're in welcome. here. And, uh, yeah, good luck and have a great year in 2018. Yeah, thanks, Garrett. Did you see Yoga's last fight? I haven't seen it. Oh, I'll show it to you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, as always, my love to the UK fans, greatest fans in the world. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.